As Simon said, the reading this evening is from uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 1 to 18. It won't be appearing on the screen, so if you want to follow it, you can find the passage on page 111 of the Church Bibles. Early in the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciple set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, Why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she said this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? For whom are you looking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me, because I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. Enjoyed the Zumba. (laughs) Especially watching these two try to keep up. (laughs) Thank you. Do you know, I almost feel like I should just sit down again and leave it. Because the young people um, in their, um, the things that they've said about house party and seeing the things on the film kind of say it all, really. But um, I have been given a job, so I will do it. (laughs) Uh, Having said that, I'm going to miss out one section um, and I'm going to change the focus very slightly um, from what was originally planned. So are are you on your marks, get set, go, Ken? Lovely, thank you. Let's pray first. Father God, 
We thank you that you are with us here today. Your spirit is here. And as we delve now uh, a bit deeper into your word, we pray that our hearts and minds will be open to hear the voice of your spirit and that we may respond in faith. Amen. I wonder if you recognize this scenario. Whenever I meet together with my brother and sister, we nearly always end up reminiscing about things that happened in our childhood. Um, There's less than three years between my brother and sister and I. My mum had three under three, and uh, very close. And I think sometimes the closer you are in age, the more sort of conflict there is. Um, uh, But that's not true today. But it's interesting that whenever we meet up, we end up talking about things in our childhood, and this happened recently. Um, We were chatting about holidays, and a memory came into my mind. I said, hey, do you remember that holiday we had in Auntie Betty's caravan at Mablethorpe? And um, there were were donkey rides on the beach. There were donkey rides. Do you remember we went on the donkeys, and I fell off and banged my head? And my brother immediately said, no, you didn't. He said, that's not right. He said, it was me that fell off and banged my head. And my sister jumped in and said, no, no, she said, you're both wrong. She said, it was me that fell off, she said, and it wasn't a donkey, it was a Shetland pony. And we continued ridiculously for the rest of the evening. We kept coming back to this this incident. But um, it's interesting. I mean, to be fair to us, it is more than 50 years ago. But... um, When the disciples were uh, beginning to gather their material to write the life of Jesus, it really is not surprising that their accounts differ. The broad, important things are all there, but their accounts do differ. And John's John's account is particularly uh, interesting. But this thing about, you know, we don't always remember the same thing. I mean, the late queen, she summed it up beautifully, didn't she, when she said, recollections may vary. And that's very, very true. And I think we would feel if the four Gospels were very, very similar, that it was all a little bit contrived and arranged. So, the next slide, please, Ken. Thank you. Um, We were going to look at three questions, but we're not now. We're going to look at two. So even though the second one is the most important question in the history of humanity, we're going to miss that one out, okay? So I'm going to ask you for, I think four pages of A4 would do it. If you could do a little bit of research um, over the next few weeks, and um, I'd love to mark it with my red pen. Why is the resurrection so important? So we're not going to cover that uh, this evening. But I do want to look a little bit at John's account, which is um, different to the others. Thank you, Ken. So just two things. I mean, the very obvious thing about John's account is, um, if you know anything about these things, is that John's account was written much later than the others. And all of his writings tend to be very much more reflective. They're usually longer accounts, there's more details. And um, they're very reflective and thoughtful. Uh, Not that the others weren't thoughtful, but you do feel that Mark sat down and wrote his in a bit of a rush. It's very, very, very pacey. But um, 
His account is from the perspective of being one of the disciples who was very, very close to Jesus. Uh, Peter, James, and John of the, of the whole of the disciples in particular were very close to Jesus and sometimes had conversations with him that the others weren't party to. And in this account of the resurrection, very clearly John remembers that it was him and Peter that went to the tomb that morning. Now, I don't think you can misremember that, can you? No, it wasn't you. You went to, you went to Sainsbury's. No, it was me who went to the tomb. No, it was you. you know, you're going to be very clear about that, about being at the tomb that morning. And so we see the empty tomb very much through John's eyes because he was, he was a fair bit younger than Peter and when he got to the t- empty tomb, well, he didn't know it was empty at that point, when he got there, he paused and he didn't go inside, but Peter did. And it reflected different personalities. But John's experience over that weekend, if you think about it, he didn't abandon Jesus. He was there at the foot of the cross um, as Jesus lay uh, hung there dying uh, along and he was there with a group of women which included Mary Magdalene that we're going to look at in a moment and also Jesus's own mother Mary and in fact before he died Jesus entrusted his mother into John's care so John's experience over those two or three days is really quite unique But he does focus on this conversation and encounter that Mary had with Jesus, the risen Jesus. Now, Mary has history with Jesus um, in the sense that um, um, if you sort of gather all the little bits through the Gospels and kind of put it together, we realize that Mary had an interesting past. She's described as being um, troubled by seven demons. Mark and Luke tell us about that. Uh, What that might have meant in practice, of course, is difficult to know. Maybe some kind of severe physical or psychological um, suffering of some kind. We don't really know. But what's clear is that she came to Jesus and that he healed her and he delivered her from her suffering. And her gratitude to him for that uh, was lifelong and turned into a devotion that continued throughout her life. She clearly believed what Jesus taught, that he is the Son of God, and she provided practical and financial support for Jesus and the disciples, as women did in those days, um, and uh, was really fully committed to Jesus and what he was all about. So she followed him and stood there at the foot of the cross. And Matthew, Mark, and, and, and John all tell us that she was the first person to meet the risen Jesus. Now, she was distraught when she went to the tomb um, on two counts. Firstly, that Jesus had died, and secondly, that his body wasn't there when she was wanting, she and the other women were wanting to um, embalm his body and prepare him for burial properly, the last thing she could perhaps do for him. So she was distraught. Um, She perhaps wasn't seen clearly. She doesn't seem to have been phased by a couple of angels at all. But then she does see Jesus, of course, and mistakes him for being the gardener. And the encounter is a very personal one. Um, Jesus, all he says to her really is her name and don't be afraid and go and tell the disciples. 
the wonderful news, which she does. And she's entrusted with telling the disciples that she has seen uh, the risen Jesus. That's in all four of the Gospels. Now, in a moment, we're going to answer the question about uh, what does the resurrection mean for us today? And my very simple answers to that are that they are, uh, for the resurrection, for us today means there is always a fresh start and new hope. And we're going to explore that in a moment. But this was something that was very much Mary's experience. She had experienced a fresh start when Jesus had healed her maybe several years before. That was a complete change in her life and she responded in gratitude and devotion. And she had new hope for the future, new purpose. She followed Jesus. She believed what he said. She believed who he said he was. Her life was transformed. And then on Resurrection Sunday, the same thing happened again. A a fresh start. Seeing Jesus, being told, no, you can't, touch me physically, you can't feed me, you can't do all those things you did for me before, but you can worship me. That was, his, that was kind of reading between the lines, and that's what she did. So again, it was a fresh start, a different kind of relationship now that Jesus was risen. And she would come to understand, as would the disciples, that because of the resurrection, there was also new hope for the future. And we're going to explore that for in a moment. So it's interesting. John's account is extremely unique. You see, generally, the very first Christians um, didn't believe in the resurrection because the tomb was empty, because most of them didn't see the empty tomb. They believed in the risen Jesus because they saw him with their own eyes. He appeared to them. There are numerous um, what we call resurrection encounters, which we're going to explore over the future weeks. So John was something of an exception in that he believed, uh, his, his gospel tells us that, he believed simply by seeing the empty tomb and it dawning on him that could it be, could it be that Jesus really had risen as he said he had, as he said he would. And about a week later, when the risen Jesus appeared uh, to Thomas and the disciples, this was for the second time, Jesus said to Thomas, he said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's us, isn't it? We haven't seen the physical Jesus, but he is revealed to us through the Bible and we can sense his presence with us by his spirit, and we can sense that he is calling us and wanting us to become more like him. So let's have a look then at what the resurrection means for us today. Now, many of the things that the young people were talking about are answers to this question. It's about having taking our faith seriously and being rededicated to him. But let's just quickly have a look. A fresh start, a new hope for the future. Well, let's do a comparison. What kind of fresh start does the world offer? Well, you can try to change yourself. You can try and have a fresh start in your own strength. You can have sheer dogged determination and willpower to change what's not working in your life and what could be better. That's not really much of an offer of hope, is it? 
You can read lots of self-help books and motivational podcasts. Exhausting and very hard work. And some change can be made. We can, by sheer will and self-discipline, make changes. But often it doesn't last or it can become very self-obsessive. So what does God's fresh start look like? Well, Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he said, If anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. The old has gone and the new has come. And so as we put our faith in Jesus and focus on living a life that pleases him, God does the changing. We don't have to do it with our sheer grit and determination. God takes away the old and gives us a new heart. And that fresh start includes a new love for God and for his people. It also includes a life free of guilt and shame. Every day is a fresh start with God. And sometimes at lunchtime you can have a fresh start there as well. We have strength and the comforting presence of God with us all the time. We're motivated and energized as we pray and read the Bible. God calls us into a lifelong faith that is an adventure. Now, if you're an introvert, there are other options. The word adventure is a little scary if you're an introvert, but there are other options. And we have the Holy Spirit inside us to help us become more like Jesus. Now, that is a real fresh start. So thinking about a new hope for the future... Well, what kind of hope does the world offer? Well, it seems to me there are a couple of sayings that perhaps sum this up. The first one is, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow we may die. There's probably not a God, not really any hope for anything getting better than this, so let's just enjoy ourselves as much as we can. Well, that's not really hope at all. Or the other one, which I think is probably a bit more popular these days, is do your best and hope for the best. Work hard to do as many good things as possible in the vain hope that when we die, the good work we have done and all the good things we've done will outweigh the bad things and God will begrudgingly let us into heaven. Well, that's very misguided and a very empty hope because no one can earn God's favor by doing good works. It's just wishful thinking, and that's not real hope. Perhaps one of the starkest statements in the Bible is when Paul in Romans 3.23 said, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So where is the hope? So what's the new hope that God offers Well, God's new hope, which we receive through faith in Jesus, means in this life, we have faith that things can get better. When God intervenes or uses us to bring about his purposes, damaged people can be healed. Broken relationships can be restored. Divided communities can come together. The power of addiction can be broken. All kinds of people and situations can be healed and renewed in God's love and power. And whatever the future holds, God will be with us and will give us that assurance that living for him brings peace and joy. And we also have the hope and certainty and assurance of eternal life with him. 
It's interesting, when you look at Jesus, the way he uh, spoke to people and interacted with people um, as he went through those three years of ministry, in every occasion that he encountered someone, he offered them a fresh start. Whether he just spoke gently to them, healed them, touched them, challenged them, or even rebuked them. In every encounter, by his words and by God's power, he was offering them a fresh start and a new hope for the future. And he wants to offer a fresh start to each of us and give us hope for the future. And we can do that over and over and over again. You don't just get one chance and then if you mess up, curtains. That's not how it works. Now, as we go through life, and especially when you lot there are all very, very young, you've probably, in the next 10, 15 years, got quite a lot of changes and fresh starts ahead of you. You know, changing school, going to university, where you're going to live, what job you're going to do, all sorts of things. You're going to have a lot of changes. Once you've got a bit beyond that, and you get ancient like me, you know, those changes have kind of fizzled out a little bit. But I remember when I was your age, believe it or not, and I do remember that at every new phase of life, I did try to recommit myself to God because I was facing a new situation, maybe with new people, whatever it was, a new challenge, and I would recommit myself to God and ask him to be with me and help me in that new situation. Sometimes we feel the need of a fresh start because we've been through a really difficult time Um, recently we've been thinking about some of the wilderness times, desert times in our lives that are hard. And sometimes when we come through the other side of that, we feel we want to have a fresh start with God. We may wander away from him, but he always calls us to come home. And that too is a fresh start. Or it may be that you've been on a house party and you've had a wonderful time and you've encountered God in new ways. You've heard his voice speak to you and call you. You've seen Jesus in a different way and you truly want to follow him. You have a fresh start. And it actually starts tomorrow. Depending on what you think about, if you think about for a moment what you're going to be doing tomorrow, who you're going to be with, where you're going to be in the next few days and weeks and months. And with that fresh start comes God's power to be with you. Because what he wants to do is take your fresh start and for it to bear fruit in your life and in the life of those around you. And here's a, you know that there's plenty of, um, In um, Proverbs and some of the other books of the Bible, there's a lot of talk about wisdom. Well, let me tell you, as an old lady, wisdom, this is how you live wisely, right? You honor God and you stay close to him. If you remember nothing else, as you grow older, as you grow up, always honor God, put him first and stay close to him. And he will stay close to you and he will guide you through. And the reason you need that is because life is hard. It might be a wonderful party for you at the moment, but it won't be that for much longer, believe me. And when, you know, <laughs> when the proverbial hits the proverbial, you know, things are hard. Life can be tough. Life can be challenging. We need God's wisdom. We need him by our side. So as we finish, let's go back to Mary and John at the empty tomb. 
Well, after God had raised Jesus on that first resurrection day, nothing would ever be the same again for John and for Mary and for the other women and for the other disciples. They would see the risen Jesus several times before he ascended into heaven 40 days later. And after his ascension to heaven, the Holy Spirit would be sent upon them. And the rest of their lives would be spent sharing the good news of Jesus and serving others. Nothing would ever be the same for all of humanity either. A new and living way had been opened for all people to come to God. And nothing is ever the same for those who put their faith in Jesus. Have the next slide, please, Ken. Thank you. So how can we receive this fresh start and live in hope of real hope and assurance for the future? Well, God invites us all the time, every opportunity he has, whether we are believers, whether we're not sure, whether this is the first time we've ever walked into a church or whether we've never heard of him. God calls, gives us all the same invitation. I created you in my own image. I love you unconditionally. And I want to have a relationship with you through my son. And here's a suggested response for that. You might say, well, I'm not ready for that yet. And that's absolutely fine. Do some more digging. Do some more research. Do some more praying. But our response might be, Father, I am sorry. I do believe in Jesus. I want to come home. Please help me. So I'm going to finish with a prayer. And because I don't like putting words in people's mouths or asking people to agree with things just because I've said them, um, I'm just going to invite you to say amen at the end of the prayer if you really feel that these words do resonate with you this evening. If you don't feel that they do, that's absolutely fine. But you might like to make this your own personal prayer. So let's just be quiet for a moment and then I will pray. Almighty God, our loving Heavenly Father, we can never express adequately how grateful we are for your love and your grace towards us. Thank you for sending Jesus to bear the punishment for our sin on the cross. Thank you for raising him to life after his victory over the power of sin and death. Thank you for your invitation to step into a fresh start and a new hope in Jesus. As we meet together here this evening, I want to dedicate or rededicate myself to you and commit to following Jesus wherever he may lead. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I may be able to love and serve the people around me. Use my gifts to build up your church, and share the good news of Jesus wherever I go. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.